Welcome to the Readings Podcast. My name is Ellen and I'm the Marketing and Events Coordinator at Readings. I'm here today with Jennifer Down, who's the author of the stunning short story collection Pulse Points, which is also the winner of our 2018 Readings Prize for New Australian Fiction. Welcome Jennifer and congratulations on your win. Thank you so much, Ellen. (laughs) Um, I was actually one of the judges for the prize this year. Um, There were four of us and we were joined by Mark Rubbo, the Managing Director of Readings, and Tony Birch, who was our special guest judge. And so we considered nearly 100 books for the shortlist, which is a lot. Out of those 100, we had a shortlist of six. And out of the six, we chose your book. (laughs) And we all unanimously really loved it and thought it was a really wonderful and super emotionally mature book. So um, thank you for writing such a fantastic no, book thank for us. No, so um, <laughs> thank you so much for selecting it. I just felt like it was, I mean, I was so stoked to be shortlisted. It was such a beautiful um, collection of, like the six books that were shortlisted were so outstanding that that in itself was such a um, was such an honour. So yeah, I was absolutely delighted. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. So let's get into talking about this wonderful book, Pulse Points. Lots of the stories in this collection deal with moments in life that can be quite painful and sad. So there's there's death and there's heartbreak, big life changes and sort of um, like painful memories, I suppose. Do you find when you're writing stories like this that it weighs quite heavily on your own mind? Um, some of them more so than others, I suppose. Um, it's... It's a job, so at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think it's any different to, you know, any other apprenticeship or job of work. But I suppose um, one of the differences might be that, um, you know, if you're a, a teacher and you're dealing with a, a particularly challenging set of students or, you know, a student with maybe substance abuse issues or something, and you come home at the end of the day, most teachers will keep thinking about that, but their workday is kind of delimited by that, you know, nine to four or eight to five or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Um, that's probably a bad example because most teachers I know definitely work outside those hours, but you know what I mean? I think sometimes if you have a more traditional, um, occupation, your work hours are sort of set by, by, you know, some sort of contractual obligation. Yeah. Um, and probably the difficulty with writing and researching is that you kind of just swim with that all the time. And so, um, there's never there's never a time when you're not if you're if you're really sitting with some um, difficult material there's never a time when you're not thinking about it even if it's sort of not active thinking yeah it might be you know when you're you're cycling to work or um, you're walking the dog or you're chopping up vegetables for dinner um, it's it can be quite a constant presence and so um, actually just in the last year not with writing this um, collection but in writing the novel that I'm working on at the moment. I've really been trying to sort of investigate ways that I can better deal with that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Because to have something like that at the back of your mind all the time, I imagine would be quite, it would just be very interesting and interesting how you kind of like split that up. I w- we were just saying before, I was just rereading the first story in the collection and I just, I finished it and I felt like I was going to cry. Like I loved it. It's so <laughs> <Sorry>. beautiful. But <laughs> No, don't be sorry. But it is that sort of thing where you can read things that are sad and if they're just sad, then... I feel like it doesn't actually impact you emotionally as much as when something is quite sad, but that the, there's all these other elements to it. Like in that particular story, you do have this kind of 
there's very beautiful imagery and there's like a very beautiful relationship that it's about, but there is also sadness and trauma. And I think that that is always much more of like a sort of punch to the brain in a nice way. <laughs> yes. No, that's a nice, that's a nice way of thinking about it. Um, so when you're writing a book, it's, it's not just, it doesn't just come out in one stream, as we all know, it's something that takes a really long time. And often the drafting process is one of the longest things that you're going through because you're constantly like revising was it difficult to like be revisiting each of these stories constantly when you were redrafting because they're such sort of big ideas and big themes and like heavy emotions um honestly they were so each of the stories was quite um required quite an individual approach so some of them needed quite a lot of of um of work um of, you know, redrafting or um, rewriting is the wrong term, mm. but um, maybe bulking them up in certain places or, or um, working out sort of where the tension is not quite working. And then there were a few stories that um, where the edit was quite light. And so I didn't, if I'm just sort of doing line level edits, you know, take out a word here, mm. shift out, you know, maybe cut down this paragraph there. Um, it, it's it's not terribly hard to, to sit with those things because it's more... Um, in some ways, it's it's a more superficial way of working. Yeah. Um, and there are a few of I think I tend to write in a relatively clean way most of the time. And so, if I know what I'm I'm trying to achieve, which is you know that's a big hurdle. But if I've worked out what I want to do with the story, then by the time the first draft is complete, um, I don't usually have to go back and spend that much time with the really heavy material. It's usually um, it's usually more about copy editing, I would say. Mm. It's so interesting hearing different authors talk about that stuff because some people are more like you where they sort of have this idea that's fully formed and it's there, whereas other people are kind of like, I just write and see how it goes, like what direction it takes. And both are perfectly valid and exciting ways of writing, but it's just really fascinating that everyone has such a different approach to that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm so fascinated by writers who don't... um well, I, I think I'm somewhere in the middle and I'm equally fascinated by writers who plot everything meticulously mm. because I could never do that, but <laughs> equally by writers who are like, yeah, I just sit down and it comes out because I feel I feel as though writing is a very um, quite a laborious thing. Mm. Um, and maybe I think I have quite an exacting approach to getting words on, on the page and I, I've tried and I don't think I'll ever be one of those people who is just able to let go of my inhibitions yep. and, you know, let it flow for five pages. Um and I used to think that was a really bad thing and increasingly I'm trying to look at it as more of a positive because I think the first draft that I end up with um, is is usually closer to what I want it to be. Um, I think I do like a lot of that really hard work up front and it makes those final steps maybe easier later on. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, every, everyone, it's such a highly individualized process and mm. um, yeah, I, I'm the same. I love hearing other writers talk about it because it's it's like... Yeah, it may as well be a different language. Oh, it's, exactly. Yeah. It's truly fascinating. Yes. Um, so with um, this collection, there are other 13 or 14 stories in it. I've just forgotten. Oh, I think 14. 14. But I may well be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you decide what goes in to a collection like this? Um, I think I just sent almost everything that I had to my <laughs> publisher. And then as we were getting closer to publication or to, I guess, that copy editing um, phase. There was one particular story that I was like, I think this this one is a bit weak, and I don't think we should put it in. Mm. Um, and she was kind of like, Oh, you know, let's just wait and see. We can make that decision when we, you know, we get closer to publication. And somehow it just got, it ended up being left in there. Mm. Um, and 
it's not a terrible story. It's just for me, it's the weakest story in that in that collection. But also, nobody I don't think has has read the collection and like and said, "Wow, this one really let the team down." Oh, so, nobody's gonna say um, that. Though. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's not great, but it's. Um, I guess I guess when you're looking at something like short stories, um, if there was anything that really obviously didn't fit in there or felt like too much of a thematic departure, I would want to kick it out. Mm. Um, and like I just said, there was one in there that, that feels to me um, maybe a little bit weaker than some of the others, but um, but I guess not enough that I really <laughs> fought for it to be um, excised. Mm. Well, because coming to this as a reader, I wouldn't say that anything feels unbalanced in this book. Like it feels so consciously put together and, and I and I do agree that sometimes you read a collection of short stories and you're like, that one, like yeah. maybe that just didn't need to be there. But I didn't I really didn't think that with this. I couldn't guess which one you're talking about. And I won't ask you <laughs> Well it's also that it's also that thing of um you're not necessarily that like there comes a point as the practitioner or, or as the author where you're not necessarily the best person to make those judgments. Like yeah. one of the stories in um this collection Akigahara that people seem to gravitate towards oh, the my most. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't love it. Like yeah. that's not the oh, story really? I was talking about. Yeah. That kind of it needed to be in there. Um, but yeah, that's like often the one that people will, you know, be. Um, it seems to um, speak to them on some particular level, and I, maybe it's just because it was one of the earlier ones that I wrote. It could be something as simple as that, but mm. I. Um, don't feel as attached to that one, for instance, as I do to some of the others. So it's I, I, you do lose some of that objectivity, I think, as a as the as the author. Yeah, because you're so close to it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like your baby. Yes. Whereas everyone else is like, look at these nice stories. Yes, <laughs> and there the are outside. certain there are certain ones that took a really long time to write. I mean, yeah, they all, they all do, but more so than others. And there is there, there are certain ones where I know I didn't achieve exactly what I wanted to achieve with them, and so that they're, they're always going to be tainted by that. But then if if a stranger read them. They don't have that kind of um, – they don't come to it with that baggage, I guess. Yeah, totally. And I'm sure your editor would have a different favourite as well. Yeah. Like we're all coming to it from such different angles yes. of, of being a reader. Yes. Um, something that the judging panel all really loved about your book was that these stories are all remarkably rich. Like they're very well-rounded and every aspect seems super well-researched. Like you never question any sort of – point in the book like I, I just reread the first story which is called Pulse Points mm-hmm. and um, it's a scene it's a story where two men are coming home they're driving along a road and they come across a body and there's this whole segment where um, one of the guys is trying to give CPR to the to the man on the road and turns him over and he's been shot but there's this there's this part where they're on the phone with triple um, zero and they're sort of going back and forth talking about CPR and the guy's like, I used to be a nurse. And that whole thing, I was like, this is like, this feels realer to me than when you watch like a police procedural and they're like coming and arresting the bad guy. Like it just felt like you were really on the phone to Triple Zero and you were really in that moment that he's in that's like quite horrifying. But yes, it seemed very realistic. So I was just wondering what your process of researching when you're writing stories like this is. Yeah. Or, or writing in general. No, uh, thank you. That's really nice. I always, <laughs> I always think it's like my best friend always says, um, like she knows my stories are good if they make her feel like a little bit sick. And yeah, I, I feel like that's totally. a really a good, I, that, I, that has always stayed with me since I was quite young. Um, but that, that, for instance, I was just really obsessed for a while with listening to, to 911 and triple O calls, which is like not a healthy, like I <laughs> no. wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, I just got, I got deeply into it and 
I'm not saying you can find them on YouTube, but they're <laughs> not very hard to track down. And I just went through this phase where I um, um, it wasn't I don't even think this story I mean, I think I started writing the story before this um, and I knew kind of what I wanted to happen. And then in the context of, um, you know, telling myself I needed to know more about... Because, I mean, we all know what happens. Most of us have called emergency services at some point or another. We all know what happens when you call for an ambulance. Um, But I guess I was more interested in, like, the emotional... um, those kind of sine waves of, mm. of emotion that happen in a moment like that, whether, you know, you're sort of panicking up front or whether there's a sense of rising panic or um, whether there's this wave-like formation of thinking you've got it under control and then realising you don't and then um, and the interplay between... I mean, in that story, it's sort of a... It's a three-part... Um, it's almost a triangle because mm. you have the the man who's on the phone... Um, the the nine one, or the triple zero sorry um <laughs> the triple zero um, emergency services operator and um, the man's partner mm. and it's sort of this tripartite relationship that's happening um and I guess I was just really interested in seeing how I how I could write that it's quite a difficult thing to to write um and I was just really interested in seeing how far I could sort of tease it out yeah um but sorry to go back to your question about <laughs> research in general um yeah it's usually just it starts with an obsession with a particular it could be an image or a moment or a place or um a sound it it usually is just something that my brain latches onto and I can't quite let go of and Mm. um often I borrow it from other people there's a story um in there about a young couple or two young friends who um end up in sort of a roadside um roadhouse rather like a roadside diner Mm. a truck stop um restaurant where every single person in the restaurant is talking to themselves. And that's a very small, like it's a very small detail and a very small part of that story. But um, that actually is a story that like my parents have told me once about mm. a, a diner that they went to in like, I don't know, a kind of um, gross part of San Francisco, I think. <laughs> um, that, that kind of rising um, hysteria that they felt upon realising that you know, there was all of this noise in the cafe or in the diner, but actually it was everybody talking to themselves. That would be quite terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's always stayed with me. And yeah. so I, I, it's it's different things. Some of it's, when I say it's research, a lot of it is research that I've pinched and have folded in from other people as well. Mm. No, it, it comes off really well. And actually, just to return to that story, Pulse Points, one of the best parts of it, I think, in the, in that call, like in that call sequence, is so the the two men are a couple, and when the man's on the phone to the operator, she he says, "My partner used to be a nurse," and the woman says, "Oh, tell her," and he gets annoyed, and there's that moment of him being annoyed that his partner's been misgendered. But I just found that so wonderful because I feel like in a lot of dialogue in a situation like that, in you know, in novels or in short stories, you possibly wouldn't have that there because. I don't know, I guess dialogue on the written page is so different to how it is when you're actually going through it. But that moment of like, you know, it's a life and death situation and this guy's just like, I'm really pissed off (laughs) for that one second. I just thought that made it seem so real and so true. I think think that's all I'm kind of constantly interested in is those little gaps of misunderstanding or the gaps of understanding, sorry, and the little, um, the kind of spaces or the gestures and the mistakes that we make or things that we leave out or don't say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that 
like I truly think that to write anything, um, particularly probably something that's really highly emotive, you kind of need to return to those small gestures. Otherwise it becomes, um, to my mind, you know, it veers toward the melodramatic. Mm. Um, and there's certainly a place for melodrama. I guess it's just not something that I'm particularly interested in my, in my own work. And so to avoid that sense of over-dramatisation, um, you sort of have to anchor it in those little moments of, um, I don't know, things that are very banal or, yeah, or commonplace. Totally. And that gives it such a wonderful texture. And that's something that really carries through the whole collection and all of your writing, actually, in your novel as Thank well. Thank you. Which I also loved. Um, <laughs> yeah, it sort, of, it sort of makes it feel, like, more interesting on, a, on the page. Yeah. Um, while you were writing this book, who, who were some of your main literary influences? Oh, um, I tend not to read, if I'm really in the world of a story, I tend not to read heaps mm. in terms of fiction, probably because I'm often doing a lot of research. So I'm reading a lot of stuff. I'll be like, what's it like to be a tree scientist? Or, <laughs> um, what is, what does this place look like that I've never been to? And so... I'm reading heaps, but I'm like on Wikipedia and I'm, you know, looking at Melways and I'm, I don't know, doing um, this kind of no room in my brain for fiction. Yeah. But I suppose um, generally um, I, I was reading a lot of James Salter actually at the time when I first really? started. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's just great to read anytime. Yeah, I really like him. Yeah. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, who else? I was reading um, – I sort of – I wasn't particularly focused on short stories, I don't think. Um, but but I think I was focused on a lot of um, maybe location or place-based writers or, or writers who, who use a lot of the environment and um, whose work is really heavily anchored to, to setting. Yeah. Um, when I – I mean, what some of the earliest stories in here were written around 2014. Um, and so that was probably, I was reading like a lot of, um, I think, think that was the year Maxine Bennett Clark short stories came out actually. Yeah. I was reading those. Um, oh, I read, um, actually, I've just returned to Hanif Qureshi, which is weird. I don't think he's a particularly setting-based writer, so mm. I don't know why he just popped into my head, but I just had a real memory of reading um, Intimacy and also another one of his kind of short novellas. Um, the name escapes me now. Um, but I was really into him for a while. Um, yeah, I don't know that I'm – it's sort of <laughs> – sorry, that's not a very good answer. I don't no, know it's a it's hard question. I don't know it's particularly <laughs> formally inspired by – like I tend to do most of my reading when I'm not – or most of my fiction reading, I should say, when I'm not um, – when I'm not focused on writing. Yeah, where you're sort of between. Yeah. I find it really interesting that some of these places you've never been to because I would have never believed that, truly. Like, <laughs> That's nice. You really feel like you're right there. It's, <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. Um, so for those who've read Pulse Points and who loved it, what would you recommend they read next? Ooh. Um, it's sort of a hard question because I, I was... <laughs> I don't want to put myself in the same categories as any of these people. <laughs> like these are people who I look up to, not who Aww. I think, you know. <laughs> um, but I just recently, or earlier this year, I read this book of lyric essays by a Canadian writer named Sarah Deleu. I think it's probably a, a Dutch name, I guess. Mm. Her surname is D-E-L-E. 
double E U W. Oh goodness. Um, <laughs> sorry for spelling it out. No. Um, <laughs> but I keep banging on about it because um, I read it in probably February and it's this little tiny book of essays that I don't think is very well known outside of like Alberta, Canada. And mm. I just happened to pick it up in um, a little bookshop when I was um, I just spent two weeks in, in Alberta earlier this year and it's fascinating. She's um, She also writes poetry and you can really, um, you really get a sense of that and of her affection for rhythm and for language and for images. But um, she, her, her kind of, I don't know, day job or her, her non-writing job is as a, um, a researcher, a health-based researcher, and she works in policy um, and kind of medical literacy, I believe, mm. health outcomes for um, Aboriginal women in Canada. And so a lot of her writing is heavily informed by um, place and by the Canadian wilderness and its environment. But she's um, constantly kind of looking at, um, yeah, the interplay between, um, you know, the um, the shadow of colonisation and the landscape and, you know, what it means to exist as a person on the margins of society yeah. in, in that environment. Um, anyway, the essay collection is called Where It Hurts and that's probably like the finest thing I've read this year and um, mm. different f- like different form, obviously, essays compared to short stories, but it's the sort of thing that you can dip in and out of and each one is um, is a bit of a sucker punch, I think. Totally. Yeah. A fantastic narrative essay collection is just like the best thing. Yeah. Like when you read a really great – because are they personal essays? Yes. Yeah, that's just – that's definitely one of my favourite forms of writing is yes. when it really sort of um, – like Fiona Wright is someone yeah, I think is really wonderful. Yeah, I'm so excited that. for her new collection. I know, I really want to read it. <laughs> so – just to wrap up our little interview, yeah. can you tell me what you're reading right now and what you're thinking of it? If you are reading anything. Yes. <laughs> I um, I just finished The Mars Room by Rachel Kushner. Oh, great. Which my boss gave me for my birthday. And I really liked it. Um, I kind of want to go back and revisit it in a little while yeah. because I, there were things about it that um, like I didn't think it was a perfect novel, but I thought it was really, really well done. I really enjoyed reading it. And it was it was kind of – I feel like when you talk about a page-turner, mm. people often think of something trashy or kind of lowbrow. I've never understood that. No, because if either. something's written really well, you are going to want to keep exactly. going with it. Like you're not going to be like, oh, this dense, impenetrable book. But sometimes you do need to take a break from stuff. And The yeah. Mars Room, even though it was, it was quite intense as a read, um, I didn't find it. I didn't find it um, so much so that I had to keep putting it down or anything. I, I read it very quickly. And in the same vein, um, Normal People by Sally Rooney. Oh, I love that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she's wonderful. Um, so I just finished that and I just started my year of rest and relaxation. Oh, I also love that. Yeah. It's so good. I disturbingly really related to the Me protagonist. Too. <laughs> Everyone I've lent it to has said that. Like one uh, of my friends texted me was like, this is this is not doing well for me. We all just really need <laughs> a big lie down. Truth. Yes. Oh yeah, totally. No. I actually um this is embarrassing to share, but I I took it the other morning I had um <laughs> to have uh, an iron infusion. Oh nice. And I took <laughs> it I started reading it there without thinking about what I was doing. Mm. And every single nurse who came around kept commenting on it. And she was like, oh, this was a good choice of book. Or, you know, like, <laughs> totally oh, is. I can see why you brought this one. And by the end of it, I had to, like, cover up the, the, like, <laughs> the title of the book. I was reading it on my lap really furtively. Yep. But, yeah, I think so many, particularly young people, I think mm. there's such an overwhelming sense of everybody being kind of run into the ground at the moment that the idea of kind of cocooning yourself against the world seems, like, delicious right now. It's amazing. That book just equal parts 
disturbed me deeply and also seemed so appealing. Yeah. When I closed it, I was like, well, yes, <laughs> maybe I have to think about some things, possibly. Yes. <laughs> no, she's wonderful, though, Atessa Moshe. Yeah, she's, she's fantastic. Amazing. Um, so you've been listening to Jennifer Down discuss her readings award-winning book, Pulse Points, which is available now at all reading stores, including our online store. You can stream previous episodes of the Readings podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or on our website, readings.com.au, where you'll also find news, reviews, and interviews, and information about our current book, music, and DVD releases. You can also sign up to our newsletter, The Readings Monthly, at the website. Thank you so much for coming in and chatting to me today, Jennifer. It was really lovely. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening.